You are listening to Look Who's Talking. I am Cameron Minter. I am your co-host, and our host is none other than Head Start Director, Jessica Coffey. Good morning, y'all. What's going on, Jessica? Not much, Cameron. Not much. She's in the house today? Yeah. What's going on? Literally not much. I don't know. Well, you know, we're coming up. <laughs> we're looming up on a big deadline. Of and, what? Uh, well, I, I think it's by Friday. Our government may be shutting down. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's that's a thing. That's a thing. That's a thing. So, as our Head Start director, uh-huh. is that going to affect our families and children? Specifically, it will not affect our program mm-hmm. right now. Um, it will f- affect any program who has a... Um, project period or program year of October mm-hmm. um, and actually that's about 10 programs um, throughout the country so okay. um, it won't specifically um, affect us so but we dodged that bullet right yeah, now. yeah we dodged that bullet but however um, you know we just want to stay on top of the news you know I was watching the Today Show the other day mm-hmm. and they were mentioning the shutdown oh. and one of the programs they were talking about of cuts is Head Start oh. along with SNAP so right, right. you know it's affecting those programs that you know really service people right, right. And, and help those who um, need those opportunities yeah, absolutely. So, so that's something that you know we are keeping watch of but as of right now it will not affect our program so we will be able to you know go ahead throughout the fiscal year and be able to continue to provide services right now that brings us to you know it may not affect us now but mm-hmm. in the future we could be very well affected so what does that mean? That means we need to get out and vote. That's exactly what it means. Have Make sure your voice is heard. Every yes. vote does count. Yes. Um, I was just in D.C. last week um, at our Head Start Fall Leadership Institute, and we were able to talk to congressmen. We were able to lobby for Head Start and mm-hmm. advocate for Head Start to say, hey, this is a, an important program Absolutely. for thousands of children and yes. families and we don't want our services cut Absolutely. um so you know hopefully that'll work right and it's important that we vote uh just a note that kentucky voter registration deadline is october 10th at 4 p.m so uh, it's important that we have a voice not mm-hmm. just presidential but in every exactly. aspect that affects our children and our families so it's really important. Impact that vote. You because get out guess there. what? What? It's the the president is the highest position. Right. However. Right. <laughs> He's not Congress, making decisions. Congressman makes right. all the decisions. Right. Right. So, so it's those those other elections are so it. much more important. And and even our state local officials yep. are important. So if you are not a part of the process. You're just a part of the decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get out there. Let's get registered to vote. And after that, I need some encouragement. Do you? I do. I think I have some for us, Kim. Let's have a coffee break. Let's have a coffee break.
what I want to say to everyone is self-confidence is a superpower. Once you start to believe in yourself, magic starts to happen, Kim. Mm-hmm. So one thing I never leave the house without mm. is confidence. Okay. I can leave my phone. <laughs> I'll turn around and go back and go get, get it. Go get that butt. But do not leave the house without your confidence. It can just make your day a whole lot better. It sure can. You know, um, when you say confidence, I immediately think of Coach Prime. Uh-huh. And he has always been extremely yeah. confident in who he is and what he can mm-hmm. do. And he's not afraid to tell people about it. Right. Now, that's the part where people get upset is because it seems arrogant or yeah. conceited. Conceited, yeah. But when you're betting on yourself mm-hmm. and you're saying, I know what I can do, that offends people because some people walk around this world and like, I don't know if I can do that. And that may be Listen, too much for me. I am not that person. Come on. Because I'm my own cheerleader. Like, you know, back in the day. Uh-huh. No, years and years ago, I was a cheerleader. <laughs> okay, but I was—I'm like my own champion, uh-huh. and I—I I hope that you know, even during some of the coffee breaks, we can encourage people: be your own champion. Like, applaud yourself. Right, and you know what? If you don't, who will? Right. You know what I'm saying? You depending on somebody else to, you know, recognize something. Recognize yourself. Exactly. And it can be the smallest accomplishments. Absolutely. Applaud yourself for making it through the day. <laughs> Let's start there. Not fighting nobody. Not punching no. nobody. <laughs> we are not choosing violence. No violence. We made it. We made That's it through it. the day. <laughs> well, we have an exciting show today. Yes, we we are going to be talking with our guest, Antonio Garcia, who is the associate uh, professor of social work at UK. Antonio, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're glad you're here. Uh, your expertise is mental health, uh, dealing with uh, families and how they mm-hmm. impacts our Head Start kids is what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm excited about this conversation because um, I get to experience more than Cameron um, what's going on in our classroom. You don't know and that for sure. Cam, you, just you call me out you like don't that. you don't walk upstairs. <laughs> All right, okay. Okay. Sorry. So um <laughs> just what we have seen, the evolution of just behaviors in the classroom um through COVID has dramatically increased. Um do you have any idea of why that's happening? Well, if, if you think about what's happened in the past three plus years, mm-hmm. um, our kids have gone through a lot. Uh, we pulled them out of school um, to hopefully keep them safe, to keep them from actually getting COVID. We threw them back in the classroom. Um, hey, and, and they really did throw their kids they, in the yes. class. They were like, take <laughs> yes. these kids, we're Good leaving. Month. Right, right. <laughs> but think about that time when you know the schools were shut down. Parents are going through a tough time, too. Yep. They are managing their careers. They were managing their, their kids at the same time. I was in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can speak just for myself. It was quite challenging uh, to, to grapple with all of those um, demands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the key lessons we learned is that Head Start schools, our education systems, are so imperative. They provide a support um, you know, in terms of not only for learning and growth for our kids, but also for us as parents who are right. working and trying to pr- 
you know, provide for our families. Right. Um, and so our way of living for parents, for kids, dramatically changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's no surprise that's, that's going to le- leave an imprint on, on the well-being of our kids. It's going to take time for them to adjust. Exactly. Um, One of the things that we learned during the pandemic is that we're almost essential workers. Because if you don't have a place where the kids can, can go, then yeah. the parents can't go. Right. And so it was imperative to get classrooms back open. But there was, you know, so many different things that were being weighed. And I think uh, when you were experiencing, you had just moved. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So we were going through just a lot of transition. Um, and, you know, if, for example, if, you know, many parents, you know, held meetings via Zoom, and then in the background you've got screaming kids mm-hmm. and kids <laughs> who need to be fed. And so it's just dealing with all of those challenges. And, you know, and now with kids, you know, returning to the classrooms, they have to readjust. It's like they have to reset in terms of what the new norm is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just takes an adjustment in a lot of patients, I think. Right. So I'm interested. I know that you've done research on like racial disparities mm-hmm. in um, serving children. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, just f- uh, for background, I actually used to be a CPS worker in Washington mm-hmm. State. Um, and that involved um, re- responding to reports of abuse and neglect. Yeah. And through that experience, I realized uh, that a lot of the kids were falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um and I was putting sort of band-aid solutions on these on these huge public health concerns, mm-hmm. ranging from you know um, crime, poverty, social inequality, um, trauma, abuse, neglect, and so forth. I mean, a laundry list of, of uh, public health concerns. Um, and I, I felt that at least in that role, seeing what I had seen, I had to pursue higher education, yeah. pursue a PhD to at least use research as, as a vehicle mm-hmm. uh, to uh, inform how best to eradicate some of those public health concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and through my research, you know, I really focused on um, access and use of effective mental health services for uh, kids of color yeah. in the system. Um, and so and through that research, I, I found that um, indeed black and um, Latino kids were less likely to receive mental health services mm-hmm. um, to address risk factors. And so um, then I started to wonder, what, well, why are we seeing these patterns happen? Mm-hmm. And so through some complicated you know, models and so forth, um, I found out that if, if you um, take into account things like poverty yeah. and or- organizational dynamics and leadership, that those disparities go away. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us? It tells us that we need to address poverty, yep. social inequality, and restructure our systems to be more conducive to adapting or implementing um, evidence-based interventions for kids of color. Mm-hmm. So we um, know what needs to be done. It's mm-hmm. just, are we going to do it? Yeah, you mentioned something that I'm interested in. You were a CPS worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Like, I've been trying to, uh, we've been doing a a good job in trying to get our teachers to realize neglect is different than poverty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being concerned that a family doesn't have living room furniture is way different Mm -hmm. from a parent not being able to provide, you know? Exactly, yes. 
I think it involves, you know, um, educating and training, um, you know, educators and other folks to recognize what are the, what are the signs of abuse and neglect. Yeah. Um, you know, and oftentimes our own biases in terms of how we think we should raise kids comes into play in that mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was a teacher in Louisville, mm-hmm. and she, um, they used to call her what, BD, behavior disabilities or something uh she she that was her specialty that she taught and she had such bonds with the kids that were beyond teacher student and she would be there for them in ways that opened my eyes Mm -hmm. so like she would bring meals and stuff like that because the kids weren't getting fed at home or the kids were uh, once they left school, they would go home into an environment that just uh, wasn't conducive for their learning. So there were so many different things that she opened my eyes to not look at the problem that's being presented, mm-hmm. but try to get to the root of why that is happening. Right, exactly. And it just reminds me that, um, you know, think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Kids need to be fed. They, they need right. those basic needs in order to learn and, and grow and develop. Um, but, you know, in terms of really, you know, trying to distinguish between poverty and, um, you know, neglect, you know, with neglect, it's that intentional harm. Exactly. With poverty, there's actual need. There, there's ne- there are needs that, that need to be addressed. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, and that's why, you know... Um, you know, through the services that we provide, you know, we've been in contact with, you know, just all kinds of types of situations. Um, and that's why, you know, we have washing dryers here. Yeah. If the, because we deal with some parents who have to make the decision whether, am I going to pay rent or do I need to buy this washing detergent? Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay rent because yeah. it's more important that we have a roof mm-hmm. over our head. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, we provide opportunities for our, mm-hmm. our families to, if, if you don't have a washer and dryer, guess mm-hmm. what? Use what we have in this center, mm-hmm. you know? Definitely. And th- those little things make such a difference. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So. We well, have a mobile food market, but Kim, I'm trying to get a mobile washer and dryer. Ooh. Think it can happen. Oh, that would be great. That would be awesome. I've seen Long some of that. Wheels. Yeah, I've seen some of that, uh, especially uh, when there have been disasters and, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and show up, you know. But we're going to continue this conversation. We want to know some of the results of your research on uh, the things that bring greater uh, disparity. All right. We'll be talking once we come back. You're listening to Look Who's Talking. This past year has highlighted the strength of Community Action Council. Every day, our staff works together to help families recover from this crisis. We're educating children at home and in person, helping parents who lost their jobs, and helping households avoid eviction. Our work at Community Action Council has never been more important than it is right now. So why not join us? We have employment opportunities requiring a range of skills from entry level to advanced. Apply online at commaction.com. I love pet dogs. 
Children love Head Start and you will too. Community Action Council's Prep Academies are hiring now. Head Start is an early childhood education program for children from birth to age five. Help us give more children the Head Start advantage. Patron, what are you waiting for? Join our team of dedicated education professionals. Apply online today at comaction.org. What are you waiting for? You're listening to Look Who's Talking, and our guest today is Antonio Garcia. He is an associate professor at UK, and we've been talking about uh, disparity uh, in uh, education and, and, and just the results of your research. What what can you tell us about those results? Well, uh, over the course of the past 10 years, I've really focused on how uh, research could be used to better enhance practice within systems across different systems, whether that be in child welfare, mental health, schools, and so forth. Um, and so one of the key drivers to success is essentially making sure that our systems, our organizations that serve kids and families are ready prepa- and prepared to implement evidence-based <gasps> interventions uh, to mitigate some of those risk factors and promote um, positive psychosocial outcomes. Um, and a key, a key sort of you know theme across all of those studies and the projects is again um, leadership, inno- innovative leadership, mm-hmm. transformational leadership, and um, the willingness to innovate yeah. um, and, and engage in, in new practices uh, that are evidence informed and culturally relevant. Um, but through that research, I, I've I've done work with you know intervie- interviewing uh, kids and families, foster parents. But I, I realized after sort of looking over my portfolio, so to speak, um, I haven't really captured the voices of fathers. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and as, as I looked through the you know, prior research that's, that's been done in the area, um, it's rather limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that just goes to show that there's a huge gap in really trying to identify ways to better incorporate um, healthy father involvement in our yeah. kids' lives. That is a big concern that we have in our Head Start programs where we have uh, a, a program uh, for uh, family engagement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we even have one specifically for fathers. Mm-hmm. So uh, we know that uh, the prime years of learning mm-hmm. are zero to five. Right. And that that makes me think about we do have – quite a few fathers who are active in their children's lives. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to um, the parents not being together, we see that's when it's harder for um, our parents. And then especially when um, we give out information, we usually give it to the primary parent. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you have the secondary parent and that parent didn't get the information and they don't know what to do and they're picking up the kid today. And, um, you know, we are trying to find better ways to make sure that we involve both parents um, because, again, it's so important, um, especially that father. That's great to hear because what we do know from the research is that when fathers are equally involved, mm-hmm. um, kids benefit. Uh, we see better outcomes, you know, across the board in terms of their mental health, their educational outcomes, 
prevention of, of a, abuse and neglect. Yeah. And just more maternal support right. uh, when they're involved. So um, it's, it's just a way, father involvement is it's a way to sort of address some of those public health concerns that I raised earlier. Mm-hmm. That if they're involved, we see a lot of those risk factors uh, decrease. Gotcha. So mental health has really been in my opinion, ratcheted up since the pandemic. And that's all we hear about is getting your mental health mm-hmm. in, in order. Can you, um, you know, just give us some insight on why you think that is, is, is occurring? And what is, that makes me think, what is the climate? Like, we talk about mental health climate. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the temperature? Because I don't know. <laughs> what's the climate? Right, right. Well, I, I think what COVID did is that it helped sort of reveal what's on the carpet, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, and um, I think during that time, a lot of um, that trauma resurfaced. It, it, some have said that the whole COVID pandemic was a traumatic event for many mm-hmm. people. And when trauma happens, oftentimes all of those other traumas sort of come to the surface. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's a lot to handle for any one person to, to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why we're seeing just um, at least more discussion around mental health concerns and trying to, you know, normalize it yeah. instead of stigmatize it. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're so quick to say, you know, go to your physician and get this checked out to f- promote physical right. health. But the same mentality, mentality doesn't apply in our society for mm-hmm. mental health. Right. And you know what? You said, you know, COVID was traumatic. COVID Mm -hmm. was traumatic. And as a single person who I live by myself, Mm -hmm. um, I find my I felt myself like, oh, what am I supposed to do with my time? Because everything that I would normally do to emote, um, I couldn't go to those places. I couldn't do it. I had to be by myself with myself. And I could only imagine how a family was during that situation, during that time period. Right. Yeah, we we kind of joked before the show and said that, that post-traumatic s- uh, stress, right. uh, when we think about it, because uh, I think you were saying that it was a blur, what all, all mm-hmm. the, de- the details and the details of two years is gone <laughs> out of most of our lives. But uh, I think it just opened up wounds or opened up areas that needed to be addressed. Right. And now that, you know, uh, something traumatic has happened that has got us on a, a better mm-hmm. trajectory. But you also said that um, m- most minorities, there is a big disparity in uh, receiving help for mental uh, mm-hmm. issues. And a lot of it has to do with lack of trust with our systems. Mm-hmm. Um, in other cases, it's just a stigma of reaching out for help. Um, and a question of whether or not the services that are available are culturally relevant. Relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the biggest barriers that I've seen through my research is, is just, um, you know, is there a compatibility between you know, what I need and what's out there for, for me? Mm-hmm. Through the past few years, have you seen um, an increase of people reaching out or like understanding mental health, men- mental therapy, wanting to get, um, you know, counseling or anything mm-hmm. like that. What have you seen um, when it comes to, and the minority population mm-hmm. um, receiving? Or Right, right. So I, I, I think, in you know, talking with different leaders across different systems, I think 
there's more conversation happening. Definitely. Uh-huh. Uh, they want to make sure they have uh, the tools, the resources, the capacity to motivate their staff right. to engage with their clients authentically and, and in culturally relevant ways. Um, and I think part of that process involves educating uh, our clinicians, our leaders, that many of the existing interventions out there mm-hmm. um, have actually been tested by or, or within minority populations. Right. But there's this bias that they haven't. And mm-hmm. so as a leader, you know, I may question, you know, is this practice applicable? Or are they going to buy into this? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, you know, in my research, in my work, you know, I go to organizations. I don't tell them which intervention to um, implement. They are, the, they are the experts. They, they have a full, firm grasp on what... Um, what they need, what their staff need, and what their, their clients need. Mm-hmm. I'm just there to support them implementing whatever they decide to implement. Uh, but in that process, I encourage them to really sit down and think about what are the issues of concern? What is your target population? Um, will this intervention, will it address the need, the risk factors that you're yeah. really trying to address? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a lot of pre-planning rather than sort of, oh, I'm just going just gonna to pick this intervention and go with it. Right. Have you seen an increase in minorities um, getting into the profession? Um, I, I think, w- you know, at least in our programs here at UK and even, you know, across the country, yes, definitely. Uh, I see a lot of um, bright students of color yeah. uh, who are motivated to address the mental health concerns right. and as, as an avenue to promote educational outcomes. Right. My um, background uh, is nutrition, actually, yeah. Yeah. and um, I did a research project on um, just the disparities mm-hmm. of nutrition in African-American women living in low-income housing. And that brings me, that that reminded me of just, you mentioned trust mm-hmm. being a big part of why people don't seek, you know, help. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be the same with nutrition, yeah. Um, they were more prone to listen to me than to my Caucasian ca- counterpart um, that didn't understand the culture or understand how I live, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you see that or do you think that's a part of the distrust um, factor in? Um, Definitely, yes. Uh, you know, in, in my work, when I try to engage clients or leaders, um, I try to identify champions who could be a voice for that community, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, par- I partner with them. Yeah. Um, so um, all the work that I've done is is really it's a testament to partnership and team science, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you doing now? I understand you're you're doing some you you're you're constantly doing something, but yes. now your research is taking you to another path. Well, it, it's, I think it's on the same path. It's just a, a pivot, I think, in really trying to figure out how we can better engage fathers authentically. Mm. Um, as I mentioned, you know, when fathers are involved, we see better outcomes for kids across the board. Um, and thankfully, here in Lexington, Kentucky, um, David Cozart um, mm-hmm. um, has been a true leader and champion for fatherhood. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I connected with him three years ago um, to work on this project. Um, and part of that project involved um, evaluating his services. Um, a lot of his work is devoted to delivering father-centric services and programs in our community. 
he wanted to get a sense or get a pulse on whether or not what he was actually doing was effective. Mm-hmm. So we partnered and, and we examined, um, you know, the acceptability and the feasibility of a 24 seven, um, dad parenting program. Um, and through that research, we realized we need to d- address some really complicated structural systemic issues. Mm-hmm. Um, in my interviews I, 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 that I conducted with fathers, I learned that many of them um, ha- just didn't feel valued or didn't have a seat at the table mm-hmm. um, during case planning for their own kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this happened, you know, in you know, in school settings and child welfare mm-hmm. um, and so forth. So it, it's about how can we better equip those systems to even think about involving the father at a meeting. Yeah, that's important. So and and so. A lot of a lot of the the narratives that, that I um, you know listened to involved. Gosh, I, I just want to be involved. I want to mm-hmm. see. It. I want a chance to comment on what I think about my own kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I a lot of those pieces are just missing right now yeah. uh, because the go to is seems to be the mother mm-hmm. in most cases. Right. So. so have you all come up with any recommendations as of yet with your study? Mm-hmm. So with with. Um, the study, we took all of the interviews we conducted with fathers and actually the, actually the system providers um, that work with kids and families. Mm-hmm. So we interviewed numerous uh, providers representing child welfare, probation, um, schools, and, and other systems. Um, and through all of that data, we actually developed a training curriculum um, to, for, for um, uh, providers statewide mm-hmm. uh, with, with some tools um, and some, some resources on how to actually engage in father-centric caring practices. Well, that's that's awesome. That's uh, something that we can look forward to and figure out how to you know bridge this gap. You know, there's there's a gap that's uh, affecting our children and our families, and it's great to know there's someone out there is doing some research to try to exactly. get some answers. You know. Well, thank you. We'd like to thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate the knowledge that you bring to this subject. That's the show. What you got? <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. I'm excited about, you know, just what we have coming up with our father engagement and just um, listening to Dr. Garcia. Um, I think that we are on the right track, mm-hmm. but it would be great to be able to partner and, Definitely, you know, yeah. see how we can um, just make the relationships, you know. How can right. we learn more about what you're doing? Well, I'm actually, if you just uh, go to the UK website and, and search engine, just Antonio Garcia. All right. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. You have been listening to Look Who's Talking. Tell your friend, tell your family, tell everybody about this show. And we'll be checking you out the next time.